Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. I, uh, I hope you've been enjoying the Christmas season so far. I feel like I can go ahead and say that now, considering some of you have been celebrating like since July, that, <laughs> aka my wife. And uh, others of you have just started thinking about maybe putting up a Christmas tree sometime next week. There's some, some varying differences there, but when you put those differences aside, I think it's safe to say that when it comes to Christmas, we all have this, some kind of expectation. Uh, in our minds of what it's going to be like. I mean, most of us have some traditions that we count on every single year. For me, one of the most important events of the entire year is the making and eating of the Christmas snacks. This is like <laughs> very important, okay? Um, just think like tater tots wrapped in cheese, wrapped in crispy bacon, dipped in a hot honey mustard sauce. You sold yet? It is amazing. Uh, so that's something I look forward to. But maybe for some of you, it's that special Christmas music you get to break out or maybe the decorations you get to put up. Or maybe for those of you who don't do much, maybe it's a tradition of not having any traditions. I don't know. But whatever it may be, we all have some kind of expectation for what Christmas should look like. And that's because of experience. Because when you've been through something before, you have a deeper understanding of what to expect in the future. But what about when you've never experienced something before? Well, then it gets complicated because you're still going to have expectations, absolutely. They just have a way greater likelihood of being off base. It's like going to the theater to see a brand new movie. You see the previews, you talk to some friends, maybe you read some reviews, and before you know it, you got this like full-blown uh, opinion and expectation of what this movie is going to be like, even though you haven't even seen it. And you see, the expectations we bring into the theater dramatically affect the opinions we bring out of the theater and how we're going to talk about that movie. A perfect example of this in the past 20 years would have to be the Lord of the Rings movie. Okay, the people who came into it thinking that it was supposed to be exactly like the book, well, they came out disappointed. But the folks who just wanted a good, clean, wholesome story that got the big parts of the book right came out of it thrilled. And that's because the truth is the expectations we carry, especially for those things we have yet to experience, have a dramatic impact on our perspective when reality hits. Now, what in the world does that have to do with today? Well, today marks a very important day in the history of this local church. I've been unanimously put before you by the elders as the man you will either vote for or not vote for to be your next lead pastor. But today is not only a historical day, it is a new day. It is a new day for you, and it is a new day for me, because regardless of the outcome of this vote, this church is about to step into uncharted territory. And your expectations for what that ter territory will look like will shape your perspective of reality when it hits. So here's my question. What are you expecting for the future of this church in 2024? Now, honestly, there's a lot, there's a lot that we just can't know yet. But there are some things that I can speak for if I'm to be the man you choose to be your next lead pastor. And that's one of the reasons why I will be sharing three lessons on leadership today that we can learn straight from Jesus. Because I want you to know what you can expect when it comes to my potential leadership in the coming years. But that's not the only thing I want to do in preaching God's word today. It's also my hope that as I share these leadership lessons that I'm learning from Jesus, that you might see their value and apply them as well in your lives. Because as you'll soon see, these lessons are not a matter of opinion or style. 
but they're taken straight from the example of Christ. That said, there are three leadership lessons from our Lord that we will cover in order today. Lesson one, trusting God is better than taking control. Lesson two, training patiently is better than taking over. And lesson three, telling the truth is better than tickling ears. Now, before we dive right in, I want to make sure I clarify myself in two ways. First of all, I want you all to know that these are lessons that I am still learning. Just like anyone else, I don't always get it right. Second of all, I want you to know that no matter who you are, you can apply this sermon today in your life. You don't have to be a CEO or a boss at your workplace to get this. All of us are a leader to someone else. I guarantee there's someone who looks up to you. There's someone who learns from you. So I would encourage you to think about those people in your life as we dig into Scripture today. With that understanding, we will begin this morning in Matthew chapter 26 with the first leadership lesson from our Lord. Trust in God is better than taking control. For today, we'll be starting in verse 36 and reading to verse 44. Again, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew 26, chapter 26, verses 36 through 44, or you can simply follow along on screen, of course. Here's what it says. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Don't you love that? <laughs> like you had one job, Peter. You had one job. <laughs> Moving on in 41, it says, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. And leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Now, most of us have heard and read this iconic story in the life of Jesus, maybe even countless times. But today, I want to invite you to look at it through the lens of what we believe about leadership. If there ever was a leader of men, it was and will always be Jesus Christ and the 12 disciples were certainly his followers. If you think about it, this scene in the garden was really the last real moment Jesus had with the disciples before he, handed, he was handed over to be crucified. He knew this moment would come when everything would look and everything would feel like a giant failure. And frankly, this would have been the perfect moment for Jesus to take control. He could have used his supernatural ability to keep all the disciples awake. He could have called down the angels to rescue him. He, he could have done any number of things to feel better and, and, to, and to look better as a leader, like he had a handle on the situation. But that's not what we see. It's not what we see. Instead of taking control of his followers and taking control of his circumstances, Jesus took on a posture of humility and submission before the Father. Why? Because even God in the flesh, the Son, the second person in the Trinity, knew that sticking to the plans of the Father and trusting in Him 
was better than taking things into his own hands. Did it look like a defeat and bad leadership to everyone else around him? Yes, it did. Did it look like a loss to Jesus? Maybe in some way on a personal level, it did. Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus himself, he, he was emptied when he came in the flesh. But the reality is that the buck stopped with Jesus. So how could he have allowed all of this to happen? Thankfully, we can look back on history and know that the plan of the Father really was better, but we need to remember how it must have felt to everyone, including Jesus at the time. The reason we can have salvation today is because Jesus made the hard choice of trusting in the Father instead of taking control. And this was nothing new for him. In fact, it was in his entire way of life. Scripture is clear that during his entire time on earth, he did not lead without first being led by the Father's plan. If that was the example of our Lord, then how much more should we as earthly leaders seek to learn and apply this lesson? Husbands, are you seeking God's plan for your wife and marriage before assuming leadership? Or are you simply taking control because you've been given authority? I remember almost nine years ago when I first got married to the love of my life. And to be honest with you guys, it was a rough start. My leadership experience was almost non-existent, and quite frankly, I learned the hard way. I thought that in order to lead well, I needed to have everything handled and do everything myself. The truth is, I never would have said it, but I thought that it was up to me to make sure I was perfect and to make sure Caroline was too. But I should have known better. And unfortunately, the man that I was before marriage was not the man I was after marriage, and that's because of my flawed thinking about leadership. You see, it was easy and natural to trust God when someone else was in charge. But when it came to me to lead, I forgot all about that part. And only later did I learn that when it comes to leadership, Trusting God is so much better than taking control. And let me just make one thing clear. Trusting God is not the same thing as being passive. In fact, it's quite the opposite because in many cases in my own life, trusting God has led me to do things that I never thought I would do, say things I never thought I would say, and be things I never thought I would be. And so trusting God as a leader isn't passive. Honestly, at times it can be flat out scary, but it's worth it. Parents, how are you doing with this when it comes to your kids? Your presence is vital. Your discipline is important. The way you show love to your kids and train them up in the Lord is crucial. But do you know when to trust God with them? When your young children lose control and throw a fit, a tantrum in front of everyone and embarrass you, when your teenager gets caught doing that thing you can't believe they're doing once again, it's, it's in those moments that we feel it all coming right back on up as parents. We feel it coming right back on us. And our first reaction is to take control. But what we really need to do instead is to trust God and to ask him for his guidance before we try to fix everything. And hear me say that there is a time to be stern and quick and rigid and unlikable even as a parent. Absolutely. But that's more about making a wise choice to give your child what they need and less about you feeling stressed and reacting. Good parents know that trusting God is better than taking control. Bosses, business leaders, team leaders, what defines your leadership more? Trusting God or taking control? You likely know the answer. You might even feel sort of entrenched in your ways because that's the way you've always done things. But it's never too late to change. 
As I said at the beginning, no matter who you are, someone is following your example. So remember that the choice is always yours when you take the reins of leadership. You can either trust God or take control. I hope you choose to trust God. I also want you to know the day that if I should be your lead pastor in 2024, this is a leadership lesson that I will always strive to apply. Come what may, be it blessings, opportunities, hard times, difficult decisions, I will seek the true shepherd of this church, and I will do my best to lead out with his plan. Moving on, our second leadership lesson today is that trading patiently is better than taking over. For this one, let's turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 12, where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to preach the kingdom of God. Starting in verse 7 of Mark chapter 6, it says, He summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you, you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And it says, so they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with the oil, and healed them. Honestly, this passage is flat out unbelievable when you think about it. I mean, can you imagine being one of the disciples? Really, like, are you ready for this in that moment? If you put yourself in their shoes. I mean, it's one thing to watch Jesus do his thing, but to go out and do it by yourself. Um, I think that would take some real cuts. But the thing I want to draw your attention to first is that the disciples had been learning from Jesus for quite some time before he ever sent them out. Before chapter 6 in Mark, Jesus showed the disciples healings and miracles and what casting out demons looked like. He constantly showed them what the kingdom of God was about, and he lived and preached what it meant to solely depend on God. And so what that tells us is that Jesus wasn't just teaching to teach, he was teaching to train. In many ways, the sending out of the 12 was a culmination of a training program that Jesus had already put into effect long before that moment. He trained the, the disciples patiently. But that begs the question, why did he bother with so much training when he was completely capable of not only doing what the disciples did, but doing it better? I mean, seriously, I'm sure that just like any of us, Jesus' disciples probably made some mistakes when they got out there. Maybe they didn't teach something right or in the exact way that Jesus would have. Maybe the ministry of the disciples could have even made somebody think less of Jesus as their leader. And that's why I think it's important for us to ask, why didn't he just take over? And the answer is because Jesus knew that holding on to the disciples' hands would be so much less effective at teaching them what they needed to learn and giving them the reins when the time was right. You see, God, who is a perfect leader, has never been afraid to trust his work in the hands of fallible human beings. So as one of those humans, what reason do you have not to do the same? Look, I'm not saying you should just hand off leadership to anyone on the street. Christ chose his disciples carefully. But what I am saying is that Jesus taught every leader a lesson when he sent out the 12 disciples, and that lesson is that training patiently is better than taking over. Now, I'm willing to bet that we've all had somebody take over on us. 
someone who, who didn't have the patience to, to watch you get something wrong. I'm sure memories are coming to mind. Personally, this reminds me of hauling a trailer. When it comes to backing up a trailer and to a spot, you've basically got two kinds of people, okay? There are the pros who can back an aircraft carrier into a compact parking spot at 70 miles an hour. And then there's everybody else. <laughs> I'm definitely still part of the everybody else category still, but, but what I've learned is that if you want to go and find all the pros, just go to a boat ramp. They're all there. Now, I've gotten fairly good at it now, but I kid you not, almost every time I used to make my attempt at backing a boat in somewhere into the water, some guy would come out of absolutely nowhere, out of the woods, you didn't know where it came from, who apparently had nothing better but to help rookies get in the water. So let me just walk you through this whole scene. He's standing there looking like a major league catcher, giving me all kinds of signs and signals, trying to get me to do what he would do if he were the driver. And meanwhile, I'm trying to remember that everything I see in the backup camera is backwards and that the direction I steer the wheels is also backwards. But no worries, because he'll holler if I do something wrong. And so now, now not only do I have to back up this trailer, but I, I get to do it while being yelled at. Some of you know exactly what I am talking about. Others of you don't, because you are that guy. <laughs> But the problem with that whole scenario is that the guy who's trying to help is doing anything but train patiently. And the way that he's helping is more like taking over because he's trying to micromanage everything without allowing for any mistakes to be made. You see, the reality is that there comes a point when the best way to help someone learn something is to let them figure it out on their own and give them as much time as they need to do so. Jesus taught the disciples everything he was going to ask them to do for a long time before he sent them out. But once he sent them out, he let them go. What about you? Do you train others patiently or do you take over? If you know you struggle in this area, just try to remember that in most cases, someone can't learn how to do something right until they've had enough chances to do it wrong. Now, what does this mean when it comes to my potential leadership of this church going forward? But what it means is that I don't believe in a one-man show and that I'm not afraid to trust in the amazing team of elders that we have to fill in my gaps and to trust you to be the church to one another. It means that I will see it as my primary duty to do the work of a pastor outlined in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, which says, And he himself, Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And why did he do that? to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So there you have it. If you decide that it's God's will for me to be your next lead pastor, you can expect me to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Just don't expect me to do your work for you. Because training patiently is better than taking over. The third and final leadership lesson from our Lord today is that telling the truth is better than tickling ears. Now, before we jump into the Gospel of Luke, I do want to take a moment to explain where I get the phrase tickling ears. I realize that not everybody's heard that. Um, so it, it comes from 2 Timothy 3, 4, which says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So the phrase tickling ears refers to telling people everything they want to hear without regard to whether or not it's really true or not. With that understanding, let's go ahead and read Luke 14, 25 through 27. 
This is at a point in Jesus' ministry when there were really starting to be more fans than there were followers. Here's what it says. Verse 25. Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. All right, so first, let's notice that in verse 25, Luke is highlighting the relationship between large crowds and what Jesus said to them. There is a a relationship here. It says, now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, It's as if Jesus' words were directly prompted by the fact that there were a lot of people traveling with him. Second, realize what Jesus didn't do. Any normal human leader would have done anything they could to keep and please a large following like that. They certainly wouldn't have tried to drive people away. And third, observe what Jesus did do. He chose to proclaim truth over keeping people happy. And he did so boldly. Now, anytime I preach on this passage, I think it's important to note that Jesus was using hyperbole here when he talks about hating your own life and your own family. Jesus himself and the entire New Testament teaches us to love our family in word and in deed. He used the word hate to highlight the comparison between your love for family and yourself versus your love for God. Jesus was saying that your relationship with God should be at a whole other level in your heart than your relationship with everybody else. But the fact that I have to explain that to you this morning reveals that Jesus wasn't afraid to pay the price for preaching truth. He knew that in the end, the initial sting of his statement was so much more loving than the eternal harm done from tickling ears. When it comes to how you lead others, how are you doing with this? Do you tell the truth in love even when it hurts? Or do you avoid it altogether to keep people happy and keep yourself from harm? I can assure you that the price of keeping people happy at the expense of truth is far greater. Parents, are you telling your kids the truth even when it hurts? Are you keeping your mouth shut because you want to avoid the pain for everybody involved? Brothers and sisters, are you holding back the hard parts of the gospel for friends and family members that you don't want to offend? In whatever capacity you lead in, ask yourself, do I choose to please people over telling them the truth? Or do I choose to tell the truth over pleasing people? It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to get up here and and say, yes, we should tell the truth. But when we really start to count the cost with people we know, it's, it's not so easy anymore. And by the way, just in case someone isn't hearing me right, I'm not inviting anyone to be more openly critical or just randomly mean because you like to be that way. I mean, we got, we got plenty of that on YouTube. Okay. Plenty. The kind of truth-telling that I'm talking about here is the kind that will likely come at your own expense in some way. Whether it's your reputation or another person's feelings that you love, when it comes to this kind of truth, Jesus set the example for us. Because as a leader, he chose to tell the truth over tickling ears. Will you follow in his footsteps? As for me, I want you to know I'll do my very best to do that. (laughs) When we come across difficult spots in the Bible together on Sunday mornings, I want you to know that I won't avoid them. I will commit to preaching the truth regardless of the the circumstances, the consequences, and I will not shy away from telling you the areas that we need to grow in as a church. The reality is that in this world, preaching the truth in love, it's a very hard thing to do. 
It does come at a price, and we will continue to see people leave this church because they cannot bear to hear what the Bible actually says. But if I am to be your lead pastor in 2024, then I want you to know that I will not shy away from the truths of Scripture, even and especially when they fly in the face of what this world values and believes. So in conclusion, the three leadership lessons we can learn from Jesus are that trusting in God is better than taking control. Training patiently is better than taking over. And telling the truth is better than tickling ears. Today, I shared these lessons from Scripture with you for two purposes. First, it is my hope and prayer that you will be able to take these in some way and apply it in your own life as a leader. And second, I want you to know what you can expect from me in January if you decide that I'm your next lead pastor. Now, obviously, today has been a very different kind of sermon for a very different kind of Sunday. But let me close with this. The past is finished. The present is fading, and the future is upon us. Just as Proverbs 16:9 says, we've planned our way as a church, but may God now direct our steps. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I know this was a different kind of, of day, um, but I ask that you would help us all apply the, the lessons that you've taught us in Scripture by how you led when you came here on earth. Um, it's so backwards from earthly leadership, from what we sometimes think we know. Um, you've shown us incredible things. Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply what we learned from your word today. And Lord, I also just pray for the one in this room right now that maybe they, they haven't been along for the ride and they, they don't know exactly what today was about. Lord, I pray for, for that person right now that they would understand um, that you came in the flesh, that you didn't just teach us lessons about leadership, that you ultimately died on the cross for our sin, that you rose from the grave, um, that it was you, that you cared enough to come down um, to love us, um, to forgive us of our sin. And I pray that that person would know that they can make a decision to trust in you and to be saved, to be saved for eternity. Lord, in all these things, I ask that you would guide us and be with us for the rest of this service as we continue. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.